BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, I was shot in the face by accident, April 5th, 1988. You go through something like that, it's going to do one or two things. It's going to make you fearful or fearless. It made me fearless. I don't feel no pressure. It's basketball. I talked to LeBron my first day in the gym, and I wanted to start training camp the next day. I got so excited. And just to hear his excitement um, over the phone, it's like, man. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where when it comes to the Lakers head coaching search this offseason, it sure seems like the Lakers front office was watching a whole lot of Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton, because it's clear they're not going to throw away their shot. Hey. So I haven't seen Hamilton at all, but I hear that's a popular buzzword and song, so there it is. Oh, you should Anyways, watch it. You like it, dude. I probably would, so I guess I threw away my shot, or I haven't yet. There's always a second shot when it comes to watching Hamilton. Anyways, the Lakers have officially introduced (laughs) Darvin Ham as their next Lakers head coach, and the team has hit the ground running ever since Ham waxed his beautiful poetic during his introductory presser on Monday. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by the full Lakers Legacy crew, my co-hosts Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley. And we are here today to finally more in-depthly talk about Darvin Ham and his official introduction as the Lakers' newest head coach. Tommy, welcome to the show. You've seen Hamilton, is that right? You like it? I enjoy it. Thank you for asking, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) Alan, what about you? Have you seen Hamilton at all or no? I have a funny story that'll be quick. Uh, I had tickets to see Hamilton. Um with my brother and um his ex and uh yeah (laughs) and um yeah i was gonna third wheel it with them i was like whatever it happened to be game seven of the world series dodgers versus effing houston astros and uh i wasn't particularly fond of his ex so i decided you know what eff it i'm just i'm not gonna go watch hamilton live i'm gonna watch game seven of the world series where the dodgers were awful and we don't need to talk about all that but anyway 
I missed my shot to see Hamilton live. Oh, wow. So we have to have a joint viewing, apparently, of Let's Hamilton. Let's do it. I'm down. As okay. long as it doesn't land on the World Series with the Dodgers in it, I'm down. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so let's get straight into it. Uh, Tommy, let me get your quick general macro thoughts on, before the intro presser stuff, your general thoughts on the Lakers actually hiring Darvin Ham and going that direction versus, you know, the Terry Stotts, Mark Jacksons, Kenny Atkinsons of the world, even the Quinn Snyders of the world and the Lakers choosing not to wait that process out. Um, I know earlier on in the process, before Ham was like a popular name to throw about, he was actually your personal pick for next head coach, you know, before it became popular. So you're a very hipster in that respect. But tell me why that was. And then tell me your thoughts on, I don't know, how the front office handled the process and whether his hiring tells you anything about maybe the front office's hopeful pivot towards actual self-reflection and self-improvement. And you you don't have to dive too deeply into things. I'm going to time you two minutes. So ready, set, go. Yeah, so I think like... uh... You know, the the interesting thing with Ham this year is like he uh <laughs> he he sort of reminds me I, I think the Willie Green and Ime Odoka sort of yeah. success that they had this year probably said a lot uh, said a lot to the front office. I think there was like a time back in the day with like Mark Jackson and, and some of these like former players turned head coaches where you know, they maybe the guys could relate to the players, but they didn't have the X's and O's like sort of background and training and mm-hmm. and really, frankly, desire. It seemed like at times, um, and so now it, I think there's like a new era of these guys coming in who can do both. And I think Ham is, you know, from everything I've heard about him from other players, you know, I, Al Horford like unsolicited brought up Darvin Ham in one of his media yeah. day press conferences, you know, before the finals. So. You know, I was always looking at him as like an interesting coach. He's been assistant coach for over a decade. He was with three teams. He was with Bud for just about a decade across two different organizations. So he definitely had like the background. Um, you know, the fact that he was running the Bucks offense that was, or excuse me, defense that was number one or at least top five for most of the time he was there said a lot to me. And and I think. Really what it came down to at the end of the day, and I know that maybe people don't want to say this, but when you have a bunch of like superstar type athletes on a team, it you have to be like Greg Popovich level good for them to not tune out like a dweeby white guy who has never played basketball. You know, I mean, like, frankly, that's what sure. I think it, it is a big factor. And so, you know, Darvin Ham was a role player who earned a spot in the league and the guys respect him and that trumps a lot. Um, so if he can bring what they ran with the bucks to, that worked with him, you know, or, or work for them over there. Um, that was one of, I guess those were the main reasons I was excited. Dang, right at the two minute mark. I like that. And to be clear, Tommy is a non dweeby white guy. So just in case people are wondering, <laughs> um, my last question, this will be 30 seconds. Were you surprised that the front office went with him though? Yes, in the sense that, you know, this front office doesn't seem like, you know, they really are excited to take risks or, you know, I haven't really shown a huge willingness to take risks. I mean, maybe that's unfair because you sort of have to hire what's in front of you. And at the time they hired Vogel, that's who was in front of them because, you know, Ty Lue and obviously Monty Williams ended up taking other offers. So, but, you know, at at the same time, it's like you sort of saw these retreads and you kind of the Lakers just it felt like so in their DNA to just go for a retread. And, you know, you haven't you have this base that's experienced with Anthony Davis and AD and maybe Russ. Right. And so you have your vets. And so 
yeah, I don't know. I, I expected them to go retread, but I was I was happy to see the new boys. Yeah, pleasantly surprised. My friend Andy was on to break the news of Darvin Ham um, being announced as head coach before the intro presser, and he brought up a good point that after the Luke Walton stint, it felt like the Lakers front office was very had a lot of PTSD and trauma from that of Luke being inexperienced, being able to hire his own coaching staff. And so when they went with Frank Vogel, it was almost way over compensation, which is what the Lakers typically do anytime, anytime something goes wrong. Right. And it felt like an overreaction to be like, let's get an experienced head coach. And not only that, but let's make sure that like the three next head coaches in line after him as his assistants are also former head coaches. So it feels like the Darvin Ham hire is a deviation back to what I feel like they always wanted to do, but they were scared to do because of the Luke Walton experience. It was too fresh in their mind. But now that they've gone through the Frank Vogel thing, and you know, obviously Frank Vogel won us a championship, so that wasn't necessarily like a terrible move. But I think the Lakers were always keeping in mind long-term sustainability. Can we try and get a young coach? The Luke thing was a bump in the road, but I think a Darvin Ham is sort of like a melding in between Luke Walton and Frank Vogel, and now we maybe have a happy medium, right? Because Darvin Ham is the same age as Frank Vogel. Um, but with that said, Alan, why don't you transition us into Darvin Ham's press conference and some general quick tidbits that stood out to you about who Ham is and how you feel that will positively translate itself to potentially riding the ship here for the Lakers? Yeah, uh, I think he's a guy who is very down to earth and mm-hmm. his perspective just on life uh, is refreshing to hear. I mean, I think at, at this point, right, like everyone has heard uh, the, the highlights of what he had to say. Uh, what stands out to probably most people is the fact that he got shot in the face by accident. And, you know, now he has, uh, ever since then, when he was young, uh, a different outlook on life than most people. Um, but it's like, it's like that's just not a story. <laughs> you know, I think that that's something that really affects a person. And uh, it, it colors like all of your experiences and how you see things and how you communicate with people. And I think the hope is that that can uh, influence and rub off on guys on the team and just the organization as a whole. Um, so, yeah, the realness for sure stands out. Um, seems very genuine and authentic and sincere. He wasn't just up there going through the motions, even though I suppose you can make the argument that there were a lot of cliche, you know, facts over feelings, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, ah, it's so what all coaches say, defense first, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, like, and maybe there's just the, the bias, right, of like, we're just excited, but it, it just felt like um, it's the type of voice that's going to get through to guys, like, on a, on a real deep level. Um, so... Alan, sorry, can I jump off of that yeah. point, actually? Because pretty much everything you said is what I wrote down here. I was like, there. he had his share of coffee mug quotables, like you mentioned, facts over feelings, being together, being competitive, being accountable. You know, it even had a cadence of, you know, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't lose. <laughs> but at the same time, there was a realness and a keeping it 100-ness about Ham where it seemed like he knew, he kind of very naturally turned that off, right? And then sunk into a space where he could just almost like he was talking with a friend over beer all of a sudden. It was kind of seamless the way that he transitioned between, you know, giving the coach speak, but then being very real with you and where he comes from. You could tell it wasn't like a speech and debate, good morning America rehearsed sort of thing. And, you know, when Frank Vogel was introduced, not to contrast them too much, Frank was very eloquent, diplomatic, and well-composed. I think we described him as 
very almost like a political candidate, right? And that's to his credit because when Frank Vogel was introduced, it was during a very tumultuous time uh, in the front office, right? And he handled it very well. And who knows how Frank would have responded in better circumstances. But I guess with Ham, I appreciated the moments where he was able to kind of let his guard down a little bit and was vulnerable and removed himself again from the Good Morning America rehearsed talk. Whether it was like choking up over his experience with Bud or outlining all of the rejections he's encountered along the way to get to this spot. He's like, this is a timely moment for me. All of those rejections happen for a reason. Or like you mentioned, relaying some of his own personal anecdotes. Uh, I think it was very clear this dude is someone you should listen to and someone who commands respect because he's not just fully giving you the Palinka-isms, not to you know throw Palinka under the bus too much. But yeah, go ahead and continue if you have any other points. Yeah, and uh, I think some other things, you know, a lot of players, like Tommy mentioned, Al Horford unsolicited, just went out of his way, you know, to talk about him uh, before the finals. And, um, I mean, Giannis, you know, obviously Giannis is going to, you know, say all kinds of complimentary things about him, but it's like players don't have to (laughs) go out and say these things, especially players from other teams. Um, But if you're just like a good, solid dude who everyone respects as a person – um, then players will feel compelled to speak on your behalf, right? And I think that we've gotten a real sense of that now. Okay, so those are, you could call those like the soft skills or whatever. So how's that going to translate to everything else? Um, I mean, when you're working with, like you mentioned, a bunch of superstars who you don't want to say like they could coach themselves, but as far as having that strong voice that people are going to buy into and listen, um, you need that. And it's not to say that Frank Vogel had a weak voice you know or guys walked all over him or whatever but um with with darvin ham it just seems like his communication style and um his his ability to connect with everybody top to bottom of the roster as cliche as that sounds i mean that's a real thing that i don't Mm -hmm. think necessarily happens with everybody um someone else brought up a point i remember who it was but they said you know with like greg popovich for example could coach Tony Parker, Ginobili, Tim Duncan, like really hard, right? He could dig into them and not hold back. I get the sense that Darvin Ham is that type of guy that can dig into guys and they're not going to look at him sideways like, well, who are you to say that to me with some sort of ego, right? Sure. That there's this sort of, you know, seeing eye to eye type of thing. So, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, for me, I really loved his emphasis on, and Tommy touched upon this in his earlier answer, but I loved his emphasis on building a true culture. Outside of the X's and O's, it's about the culture that's set forth, a foundational ground that this team can stand upon for once in this roster-flipping, topsy-turvy era that we've been in in Lakersland. He talked about accountability and sacrifice, but like Tommy mentioned, when the X's and O's fail at times in the season and maybe in the most crucial moments, and when that fails and guys are tired and discouraged, they're checked out, is there a culture to fall back on? Last year, there wasn't, and I feel like guys tuned Vogel out pretty quickly, even though they, you know, owed a lot to him. They said a lot of nice things about Vogel, right? But if Ham from the get-go can establish himself as a true leader of men that his players can trust and will want to go to war for, I think you've got a better shot of working yourself out of the malaise that is a breakdown of X's and O's or bad injury circumstances or discontent players unhappy with their roles. So, uh, Tommy, what did you gain out of uh, Darvin Ham's press conference and what stood out to you about him specifically? I mean, you guys pretty much summarized it, but just the way that he communicates is very clear and 
you can see why people say, right? It's like you, sort of a lot of times the, the tropes like, you know, a leader of men are sort of overused, you know? But when you see Ham speak and listen to him speak, I guess, you know, you sort of understand what people are talking about. He's He gave a 30-minute press conference or whatever. I watched the entire thing. I don't think I've ever been so engaged in like a, mm. in like a press conference. I normally don't watch the stuff. It's like kind of nonsense and it's just like, you know, if you think back to any other head coach we've ever hired, it's like, you know, everyone is sort of puts forth their perspective of, oh, this is why it's going to be so different than last year. But, you know, I don't think every new hire or every new person who comes into a position of leadership in the organization needs to be a comparison against the last person. It's just what yeah. is this person in a vacuum? And I think Darvin Ham in a vacuum is going to be a great leader. And the question is going to be whether we can put the group together to get the most, you know, out of him and vice versa. And that remains to be seen. Right. Alan, can you touch upon this point really quickly? You mentioned facts over feelings. And for me, I'm like, yes, please, please hold fast to that. I think I like that it seems like Darwin can be, knows how to be that good cop, bad cop at the same time, maybe bad cop uh, behind closed doors. But even when it came to talking about Westbrook, he said a lot of nice things about Westbrook. He was very inclusive about bringing Westbrook in. But at the same time, he didn't commit to Westbrook being a starter. He said, I don't care whether Westbrook comes off the bench or starts. He even kind of singled him out and talked about sacrifice and accountability with regards to a question about Westbrook. So I like that he'll call you out directly or indirectly if need be. And then even as it pertains to Anthony Davis, he mentioned he's the key, but also he needs to be more consistent. We need him to be more consistent. Um, so Talk to me about really quickly about that aspect of things with regards to someone who can stand up to even the stars and, and really hold fast to that accountability phrase. Yeah, again, I think it comes back to uh, just being able to communicate very clearly, right? So if you if you just sit Darvin Ham down with player X and, and you point out like these are the things that we need you to do here, you did not do it. This is what you did instead those are all facts, right? And it's kind of like, can we both agree that this thing happened because of reasons A, B, C, and D, right? And it just seems like he's the type that will sit down with the player to like really make sure that we're on the same page here as far as what we're seeing versus just telling you, calling you out, oh, you were wrong, you know? Um, and I, I feel like because he was that like player who had to really grind his way, right? And I mean seen him how many like highlight videos him like breaking backboards and things like that like he was flashy as hell too like there's a lot of respect there he's not just some bench warmer but um i i think that he's the type of coach or just person who can like i said before like level with a guy mm -hmm. and get to this point where it's undeniable of what you and i are both seeing so how can we possibly like disagree <laughs> that this was not good and we need you to be better type of a thing um I, I think that the word like unity kind of comes to mind that he can kind of unite guys. And uh, I don't think that he'd be afraid to back down from some sort of situation. Like this player's got this huge ego and like, I don't really know how to navigate this relationship. Like that, that stuff doesn't seem like it would scare him at all or he'd be intimidated. Right. And that kind of gets into the like feelings side of things. Um, so yeah, that's something that I also anticipate, you know, seeing from him. 
Yeah, for sure. I agree. All right, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we'll close this episode out talking a little bit more about Ham and maybe some specifics of what he can bring schematically based off of his other stops with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks, et cetera, et cetera. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Hey, folks. Surprise. It's still me. It's halftime Jonathan slash Jonathan at the break. And I just quickly like to use this time to ask for your support. If you've enjoyed our off-season coverage and the slew of free agency deep dive podcasts we've dropped over the last couple of weeks, all of which you can find on our feed, and rest assured there will be even more free agency content to come, but yeah, if you've appreciated the insight and commentary we've provided, we'd please like to ask you guys to take a moment of your time to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Those free agency deep dives take a lot of research, time, and type A organizing to put together and get underway. And if we've helped expand your knowledge of the Lakers slash NBA slash free agency landscape in any small way this summer, we'd love it if you could let us know that via a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. Personally, for me, I'm really using this off-season as a litmus test to gain feedback and see whether or not I can uphold keeping this podcast as consistent as it has been heading into next season. So hearing from you guys will give me a much better picture of how much time and resources we should continue investing into this six-year labor of love of ours that's just unfortunately started to get harder and harder to upkeep due to general life transitions, family obligations, yada yada. We've been in a pandemic. You know the drill. So yeah, thanks to those who have been literally supporting us over the years. We couldn't have lasted this long without any of your guys' support. And for those who have just jumped aboard the Lakers Legacy Lit Train, welcome, and we'd also love to hear from you too. So yeah, regardless, thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so we're back. Tommy, there was one thing that I wanted to add about Ham's press conference and what he said in his various interviews across different platforms that stuck out to me and that I think will also excite you. But what were your thoughts on Ham's vision and focus on youth and mentorship? Now, I know the Lakers are in a position where it's just a necessity to have to say those things because they're going to need to fill out their roster with random G League dudes at some point. But I feel like that stemmed from a real place from Ham and that it seems like he's a guy who relishes developing and mentoring youth, especially because he was a player development coach with the Lakers, but also a D-league coach. And Darvin Ham actually, with regards to Rasheed Wallace, who at the time of this recording, we're still not sure if he's officially part of the staff, but Darvin Ham said she'd skillfully helped him tutor D-league bigs in 2011. And he relished that time of his life. And so... If the front office wasn't going to do our scouts a favor, I'm glad that our coach values the money ball dynamic of sports, of finding diamonds in the roughs and leaving no stone unturned from any corner of the room, whether that's G League, overseas, second rounders, undrafted guys, that janitor you know at work who's got a seven foot nine wingspan. I just love that Ham is open-minded and he even outright mentioned Stanley Johnson and Austin Reeves. So for me, that gives me hope that politics won't rule the day and that actual hard work and a merit-based system will win out. But at the end of the day, I'm also just happy that because he's so focused on youth mentorship, that's going to be a boon for us, hopefully in free agency, when we're going to have to convince like the next Malik Monk to take a chance on us and recoup their value with us and take a pay cut, you know, because they know that they're coming into a situation with Ham a coach that they can trust who will actually take their development seriously. So yeah, your quick thoughts on just Ham's sort of leaning towards youth and mentorship. So far he's said all the right things. Um, I guess we have to see, you know, where it goes, but yeah. I think like 
you know, the interesting thing about the ham hire is I think he works in multiple respects. I think one, if we actually build a competitive team this year, he's, I think he has enough experience as an assistant to be the right leader for that. If we, we're not going to go full rebuild, obviously with with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the roster, but I think we have to accept another possibility that this team is just sort of being constructed like those mid 2000s Lakers teams. If people remember that time, like the post Shaq era, post Rudy mm-hmm. Tomjanovich, where we had Kobe and a bunch of young guys, and basically we were competing for a low playoff spot, right? And if you look at the West next year, I mean, obviously this is peak optimism time, but, you know, frankly, we might just be in that position based on how the West is shaking out next season. So, the nice thing about Ham, though, is if he's going to stick to his guns and take this development seriously, maybe, you know, worst case scenario, if this AD LeBron core has hit its one championship peak and it's not going to win again, there times, you know, time goes on and, and we're going to need guys long term who are going to be players, uh, you know, rotational players for whatever, you know, new look we have in three years, right? So, I think I, I'm sort of interested in, in the fact that like maybe they are thinking more long term, I guess, as an organization in terms of not just how can we maximize LeBron and AD, but what comes next. Um, I have a question for you on that point because, and I, I didn't, I wasn't meaning to bring it up right now, but since you're already on that topic, I wanted to specifically ask you about what Ham's hiring means as it pertains to LeBron's future, because at the end of the day. The Lakers are trying to win now, right? And I know Palinka brought up Steve Kerr and Ime Udoka's first-year head coaches who made it to the finals their first year years, but those are, to me, still outliers. And you don't typically hire first-year head coaches, no matter how experienced they may be, and 100% hold them to and expect a championship out of them, especially their first year, right? Now, LeBron is an outlier exception here because he has brought several first-year head coaches to the finals yeah. and even won a championship with a first-year head coach in Ty Lue. But... Those are also in the Eastern Conference and six to seven years ago at this point. Right. We've got an aging LeBron now in the West, in a Western Conference that's going to be harder than ever. So even with as inspired a hire as Darvin Ham, like, is Darvin Ham a win now coach or is he more of a win for sure later, maybe win now coach? How are they hedging things? Because to me, it's like, I don't know if there's like a galaxy brain thinking here where are the Lakers handicapping themselves with Ham for next year in terms of, especially if they end up keeping Westbrook. It's almost like they know this year could end up becoming a gap year transition period. So hire a first year head coach that can be with them for the long term. But also, I don't. This sounds devious, but it's almost like you have a built in excuse. If if Ham doesn't meet the lofty expectations that maybe typical Lakers fans would have of him, because you know even Ime Udoka started off the season with the Celtics like 500 for like half the season, right? So it's almost like. Did the Lakers do this knowing that, especially if Westbrook's here, it might be a gap year, but hey, he's a first-year head coach and we're here, we're, we're with him for the long haul. Does that make sense? That makes sense. But, you know, I, I still think it's both. You know what I mean? I think the thing is LeBron sure. has shown that he ha- he can go with any coach. I mean, like Ty Lue is one example, but he also took Eric Spolstra, you know, to the... Eric Spolstra was a relatively new coach when LeBron landed in Miami, right? So Pat Riley had been coaching the team like a few years prior still. So, and, and Van Gundy. So, you know, it's... it's uh, LeBron can do it with any coach. And I think this move was more about maximizing everybody else, including Anthony Davis and including the rest of the roster under the theory that LeBron can't play forever and eventually we're going to have to like 
find another superstar, right? And that superstar is going to need help. We can't start from ground zero like we did with LeBron. Like, LeBron has always, throughout his entire career, been a guy that you can sort of break everything down to the ground and rebuild totally around him with a bunch of randos and he'll take you to the finals somehow. And that's just not going to be the case forever. And I think this is sort of a recognition of that, but I don't think we're hamstringing ourselves next year at all. I mean, not hamstringing, but you know, handicapping so that you have a built in excuse, I guess. But I I, I I agree with you. I don't think that's the intention. It might just be a natural byproduct of, Hey, he's a first year head coach. What do you expect? It's going to take some time. Yeah. And I still think he's the best he was the best option that we had, right? And probably the most sought after, sought after candidate, you know, compared to with all these other teams looking for coaches too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about it, and I guess, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Now, Alan, I want to quickly ask you about Russell Westbrook and his comments on Russell Westbrook. I don't know if you found them. I think from a humanistic, interpersonal uh, perspective, he said all the right things and you want to be inclusive. You want to bring somebody in with a position of open embrace, you know, especially someone as maligned as Russell Westbrook has been even in his own city. But at the same time, as a Lakers fan and just, you know, keeping basketball in mind, was it a bit queasy hearing Ham talk about Westbrook? And then I keep saying the word handicap, but are the Lakers helping handicap ham by potentially considering keeping Westbrook on. And by that, I mean, they know he's a first year head coach. They know there's going to be a learning curve and some bumps and bruises along the way. So are they doing him a favor by giving him a gap year to work the kinks out as a head coach while also supplying him with the scapegoat shield of Russell Westbrook being on the team so that he can use that time to work things out. That is a galaxy brain thought, but in general, your thoughts on how he he talked about Westbrook and whether you're prepared for that scenario of Russell Westbrook being on the Lakers this upcoming season. Yeah, uh, I got no problem with how he talked about Westbrook. I mean, honestly, like, what else are you supposed to say? The guy is literally on the team. He is in the building staring at you as you're speaking, so... You're probably going to want to talk about him like he's a part of this team going forward because at this point, that is literally all we know, and that's how you need to prepare. Uh, you could call that a worst-case scenario if you want. It's just the scenario to me. And, uh, of course, Darvin Ham is going to have confidence in himself and the staff that he puts together uh, where they can figure it out, you know, where they can make the pieces fit, solve the equation, all that stuff. Um, all the reports that we heard as far as the hiring process and the interviews go suggest that. Lakers front office is asking a lot of questions about how would you implement Russell Westbrook. And I don't know if that's to say that the front office is just content with keeping him as opposed to trying to trade him. Um, I think it's just a, hey, that's a reality. That's a possibility. So we need to know if you can do it or not and what your plan would be. If your plan doesn't make any sense, we're not going to hire you um, if there's like no potential there. So uh, yeah, I, I was not queasy. That's, I don't know what else the guy's supposed to say in that moment. Right, right. Um, now, as far as all of the, as you said, the galaxy brain like kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, he's not a lame duck coach hire. That's for sure. Cause he got four years. Whereas Frank Vogel got three. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked about that a million times. And can you imagine like in hired at a place and it's like, okay, we're giving you three years. It's like, well, crap, if it doesn't work out the first year, the next year you're on the damn hot seat. The fact that he gets four is like, regardless of all that other stuff, this first year, I mean, unless he really like, craps the bed you know uh which don't think that's gonna well, happen 
Go the ahead. fact that he has four makes me think of the galaxy brain because they know they're with him for the long haul. So they're like, even if he does badly, he has an excuse that Russell Westbrook was on this team for the first year. And we have to use this year as a gap year for ourselves to try and we can't build out a competent team. Yeah, sure. And no, we it's... don't want that all to be, we don't want that blame to be put on our long-term head coach and him. So yeah, it's not, some, go, it's Russell not a here. make or break it, <laughs> you know, type yeah, situation exactly. just like that. So, um, yeah. And you know, I don't know, we could go off on another thing of, well, if Russell Westbrook weren't on the team and Darvin Ham got four years, well, would there be more pressure on him because expectations would be higher and he has something that's a little bit more well put together? Like, uh, yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. I just kind of look at things face value for just what they are. And to be honest, at this point, we don't know what shit is. Like, half the team is not even in place. So, um Hopefully, like Tommy said, he's going to have some good pieces to work with. Hopefully, they correct things, but not overcorrect things and, you know, the whole deal. But uh, don't blame him for being optimistic, you know, and having the confidence in himself that he can make this thing work. You know, for me, what I got out of how he handled the Westbrook situation is he's a very empathetic dude through and through. Uh, It seemed like he had had a good relationship with Russell Westbrook. He's talked to Westbrook, and I'm sure he thinks he can unlock Westbrook. Um, If I put that part aside, if I'm thinking about the basketball part, I I mean, I also like that he emphasized sacrifice and accountability on Westbrook's part and also mentioned he needs to play off ball more and play defense. Pretty much all the things that Westbrook didn't want to do this year, Darvin Ham brought brought that up, so I like that he kept it real and straight straight with Russell Westbrook off the bat. But, Tommy, what are your thoughts on Russell Westbrook? And you can take it any direction that you want. And actually, I don't want to focus too much on Russell Westbrook, but I guess Darvin Ham's comments on Russell Westbrook. But, I don't know, for me... I just, I personally don't want to hamper Ham with Westbrook if if we can avoid that possibility entirely. I know Ham thinks he can unlock Westbrook. I just wouldn't wouldn't want to put that very unsolvable jigsaw on him at the start of the season, especially because as we saw from last season, getting off to a good start is so important and there can be such a negative cascading effect if you don't get off to that good start. So even if you you have plans to trade Russell Westbrook midseason, I don't know, the season may be lost at that point, and I'd rather things start afresh. Now, that's a very idealistic point of view if the Lakers can't find a deal and if they can't find a deal where they're not sacrificing, you know, or mortgaging their future. But in general, your thoughts on Darvin Hammond, Westbrook, potentially staying? <sighs> I mean, it's, yeah, it it it's a situation that I think a lot of people, including people in the media, think is just, you know, oh, you know... It, it's easy to address this sort of, you know, Russell Westbrook is not that bad. He just had a bad season and he wasn't deployed properly last year. And I think people, you get opposite ends of the spectrum entering the argument, but I think the reality is Russell Westbrook has been in the NBA for 14 years. He's never made the finals. He's probably never going to make the finals unless he ends up on the Warriors somehow. Uh, So, you know, it's, it, you're hamstring, you know, to borrow your word, you are hamstringing your coach now by putting him in a, like a, a situation that even the most experienced veteran coaches would not be able to succeed. It's nothing. I really, I don't have any problems with Westbrook as a player. I think actually the thing I agree with the most that Ham said was Russell Westbrook is one of the best players in NBA history. Mm-hmm. And he is still like, there's still st- something left in the tank. It's just, he requires such a specific roster construction. You can have Phil Jackson in his prime coaching this guy, but if you have him with LeBron James, Phil Jackson and wants Davis, to. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, if you have him with LeBron and AD, it's not going to work. It's you know, again, they, you Darvin Ham has his four out, one in uh, concepts that he's going. He says he's going to bring in from Milwaukee. But if you look at what they did, I mean, maybe that works. If Anthony Davis is an elite big man three point shooter, if LeBron James is a better than average three point shooter, you know that the real problem is we have built our team around LeBron James and Anthony Davis and we can't afford to get guys who it's like, Oh, you know, you, Oh, let's put Russell Westbrook in the dunker spot. We heard about this last year. You know what I mean? It doesn't work. You can say, put him in the dunker spot. It doesn't do anything. If you have two other guys who are going to be on the floor with him, who are not elite three point shooters. When the bucks do this, first of all, they do it with guards who actually can hit threes, but they have the worst three. Yeah, and they move, and they have, you know, the worst three-point shooter on the floor at any given time for that team is Giannis, who's the MVP, you know, in any given season, he could easily win the MVP. So, you have Brooke Lopez out there who can hit threes. You have Bobby Portis who can hit threes. You have wings and guards who can all hit threes. Literally, your only guy who can hit threes is Giannis. Like, if that roster construction, like, if we had that, then sure, maybe it could work, but it's just... I, you know, I just don't think it's going to work. And I frankly, I'm not committing to saying that, like, you know, all of his comments suggest that we are going to keep Westbrook. Um, if anything, maybe it's like a good indication of how he can play sort of the politics game that you need to be able to play as like a head coach. Sure. But I just think if that the plan is, you know, we can't get rid of Russ without giving up a pick. And so we just have to figure out how to make it work again. It's just going to cripple um Ham's ability to have success this year. Well, and also heading into free agency, you don't want to have to account for Westbrook and how you construct your free agency plans around Westbrook, right? And let's say the Lakers aren't even considering Westbrook, then it's like, well, then why do you, why are you keeping him on your roster then, right? So it's right. pick one or the other. Either Westbrook's gone or he's not because it's going to affect everything you do down the line from here on out, including a very crucial free agency offseason where you have very limited financial resources to work with already. But um, Alan, to close this out, let's do like five minutes on just schematics and strategy based off of anything that you've seen from, you know, how Ham has handled things with Bud in Milwaukee or even the Atlanta Hawks. So um, the Bucks had the best defense in the league for two straight seasons in 2018-19 and then 2019-20. In 2019-20, they held opponents to a league low 41.4%. Uh, Giannis won Defensive Player of the Year two straight years, including that year. Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez were named to second-team All-Defense in 2019-20, and Eric Bledsoe earned first-team All-Defense in 2018-19. That was actually Brooke Lopez's first All-Defense team at any point in his career, so you're already seeing the mentorship aspect of things there as well. Um, The main principles that the Milwaukee Bucks applied were pretty much allowing teams to live or die by the three. They didn't allow teams to shoot frequently or efficiently at the rim at all. Their bigs dropped a lot, and they made sure to not only rim protect, but cut off any passing lanes to off-ball cutters. And I feel like Ham really utilized their bigs well, whether that was Brooke Lopez or Robin Lopez in 2019-20 to protect the paint, and they really emphasized the physicality and strength of their bigs and that rim protection, and making sure that their bigs were actually active down there, not just like one-dimensional DeAndre Jordan, I'll just do help defense blocks sort of stuff, but... Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on any principles you've seen from from him? Yeah, I think uh, imagining Anthony Davis filling those roles is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know what AD is like um, on the defensive end. I, I think you know when AD offensively is kind of in a weird spot, floating around, taking way too many threes. 
one good thing with him is it doesn't affect his defense. And the fact that AD is so serviceable, even with all his injuries and crap <laughs> that he goes through, and you still watch him as like, this guy's an all-defensive team player. Uh, I'm really excited to see him in this system. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Dwight. We know that Dwight had a pretty significant fall-off, I would say, uh, from his time with Philly the year before. But I don't know. Like, is uh, is Brooke Lopez that much of a better defender than Dwight? You know? Um, I don't know. Like... He's definitely not as athletic ever. You know, he never will be for his entire life, no matter how old Dwight Howard gets. Uh, so if Dwight is back on this team, I, I think that there's there's a way we can use him there. Um, oh, Robin Lopez is available. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, I wish we still had JaVale McGee. I feel like JaVale would thrive yeah. in a Darvin Ham defensive system. But, you know, maybe we could find a guy like that. So, yeah, that those are good points. One guy that I have circled is Isaiah Hardenstein. I think he will be a tremendous free agent big man. His advanced analytics containing the perimeter, but also as a rim deterrent and defender are like off the charts. And even though he can't necessarily space the floor like a Brook Lopez, he does have a shot. And um, yeah, just defensively, him and and, and, uh, AD would be a terror. But Tommy, anything to say about the schematics that you've seen defensively or offensively from Ham? Like, you know, Ham mentioned a lot playing four out, one in on offense. Um, the Bucks before their championship season actually used to play five out a lot of the times, but they switched things up during their championship season with an emphasis on a four out drive and kick motion on offense where one player always rotated in and out of the dunker spot. Not just one player was always there, but they actually rotated out players, you know, giving the Bucks the option to put or giving the Bucks the option to put their big men on the perimeter, because usually the dunker spot is reserved for like a Brooke Lopez or a Bobby Portis, but because they had shooters, they could rotate them out to the to the perimeter. But also, I just like that guards came in and out of the of that spot and allowed the defense the, the defense on the other end kind of guessing as to what was going on with the Bucks offense, and also gave you know a guy like Giannis the ball handling responsibilities, gave Giannis the space to work with, and then. I actually watched some Hawks motion offense stuff, and it is so beautiful to watch. Obviously, they had Al Horford, Paul Millsap, and Kyle Korver, but there were a lot of driving kicks, a lot of down screens and pin downs to set shooters free. There wasn't barely any stagnant movement or ISO clearouts, and I know they're going to be ISO clearouts when you have a guy like LeBron James, but God, man, the plays that they ran for Korver to get free and the two-man big, big man game they played with Horford and Millsap where, you know, Millsap would set the screen for Horford and then he'd roll and then Horford would pass it to Millsap and then Millsap would pitch it out to a shooter on the outside. That shooter would drive it into the lane, pass it out to Horford on the outside and then Horford would drive like everything was constant motion. The ball found energy and it just has me so excited not to say that, you know, Darvin Ham will apples to apples copy, you know, Bud's motion style offense. But the fact that he can implement that, especially if you're going to be, you know, signing a bunch of you know, more athletic, younger free agents or whatever. I feel like you have moldable clay there and hopefully we can get some shooters and versatile players. But yeah, take it wherever you want to offense or defense with regards to the schematics and what you've seen from Ham tangentially from his time with Bud. So on offense, I won't say a ton because I kind of already covered some of this. I think it's like going to be a lot of personnel based, uh, you know, depending on how, what kind of personnel we get is going to dictate what the offense looks like. Mm -hmm. That, Ham can bring in whatever system he wants, but 
when your guy who's supposed to be rotating baseline in the dunker spot has never shown really in a, you know, guard has never shown an ability to like recognize game flow. I mean, Russell Westbrook, right. Has been oh, you're like talking a, about Russell Westbrook. I, did, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. He's been like a, you know, tennis per game guy for most of his career, but a lot of that is like brute force, right? You know what I mean? And, and ball dominance and usage and just his ability to get into the and into the paint, take contact and spread systems and still make a pass. I mean, it's, it's, he's brute forced his way to a lot of these numbers. This is not like, you know, this is not like Steve Nash, I guess is like, if you look at their numbers and just zone everything out else out, like you have two guys, two guys who have similar assist numbers. It doesn't tell the whole story. So, you know, when one of your three guys who's going to be get, getting the heaviest minutes doesn't necessarily have the best on-court awareness offensively, has not shown that over the course of his career, I, I get a little worried. But with respect to the defense, I mean, I think, like, looking at the way that Bud used Giannis, and I guess maybe Darvin Ham used Giannis in that Buck system you can really see how Anthony Davis could sort of mirror that. You know, you're not necessarily having Anthony Davis play the primary defensive big role, but the secondary rebounder and also secondary shot blocker type role. It's, it's pretty interesting. And AD does have really good off court, uh, off ball awareness on the defensive side. So you could see him getting like a lot of steals in that role too. And, and I think that's the aspect that's going to translate best. It's that's a little bit less, you know. Obviously, you still need the right guys, and you still need you know more wings than we had last year. But that sort of stuff is a little bit easier to translate. Like you know, LeBron is going to be locked in on defense if if Darvin Ham is there and and you know lighting a fire under everybody. AD, of course, is always locked in on defense. Russ, other guys, it sort of remains to be seen whether they'll buy in, but you can get guys and, you know, he already, like we have Reeves, we have Stanley Johnson, he's, he, who he specifically flagged. And there's going to be guys who you can sort of uh, figure, you know, will make it work on that end. But it just, the one thing I, I really appreciated just watching how the Bucks have played defense over the last few years and even the Hawks back in the day is, is uh, the fact that it's not the same exact game plan every single night. There's mm. less rigidity, I think, than we've had the last few years where it was like Frank, and again, I, I hate the comparison thing because Frank is an NBA championship coach and comparing him to Ham is like a little bit offensive, but just, you know, for sake of argument, looking at the last few years, it's like Vogel had his ways that he wanted the team to play defense and the core fundamental way they were going to play, regardless of the opponent, wasn't really going to change. It's interesting with Ham because it's like it relies their schemes that they were using in Milwaukee rely a lot more on just player awareness than they do on just sheer muscle memory. And so it's going to be sort of interesting to see how it all plays out and how aware and alert guys are and whether or not they buy into this. Because if you watch some of those videos breaking down their system, it's like, yeah, most of the time, Brooke, because he's guarding a guy who's not going to be a high-volume shooter, is just living in the paint, right? Like avoiding the three seconds, but just living in the paint. But like sometimes, you know, based on certain matchups, other guys can do that too if you're not playing against high-volume shooters on the other team. And and so it's like going to be interesting interesting to see how guys adapt. I think like 
we had three years of watching the Lakers overhelp on, you know, random dudes like Gobert in the post. You know what I mean? And it's like basically Ham's philosophy seems a lot more common sense. Like, you know, maybe arguably, I guess people don't like to say it, but maybe analytics driven um, in how he approaches it with in terms of like you have to be aware of all five guys on the opponent team who are on the floor at all times and you can't overreact. Um to, you know, just based on muscle memory, based on what you're used to doing. So a holistic approach. I, yeah. So I think I'm most excited about that stuff. Yeah, I agree. And the last thing I'll say is look at the breadth of big man that Darvin Ham has worked with from Giannis evolution to Bobby Portis evolution, Al Horford, Paul Millsap. I mean, Bobby Portis had his breakout seasons season with under Darvin Ham. So that type of stuff really excites me with what he's potentially able to do with Anthony Davis, who is already, you know, going to be a Hall of Fame player. But just the fact that he has a breadth of experience working with big big men to channel and use in his mentorship of AD really excites me. So, um, Alan, any last thoughts or anything? Uh, No, honestly, not really. Yeah, I I like everything that Tommy had to say. But not me? And you, of course. Okay, thank you. (laughs) All right, with that said, that'll do it for our Darvin Ham introductory presser. We're happy to have Ham on board, and we're just excited to get things going. And all of that starts with the draft and free agency. And then we can truly assess from here what Ham has to work with. Um, But with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, Alan, thank you for joining me, and I will catch you guys later. Laters. Peace. Peace. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.